The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. I'm a Democratic strategist and a columnist for The Hill in Washington, D.C. My company, Bannon Communications Research, pulls for and designs research-based message and media strategies for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. If you want to learn more about me and my political polling communications company, go to Facebook.com front slash Bannon dash communications dash research. My Twitter handle is Brad Bannon, all one word. The New Hampshire first in a nation primary is tomorrow, so we'll discuss presidential politics today. Our guest today in the first half hour is Paul Lisnick, the host of Political Report on WGN-TV in Chicago and Behind the Curtain on WGN Radio. Will Juwando, Montgomery County, M- Montgomery County, Maryland council member, joins our own Mark Grimaldi for the provocative progressive political panel in the second half hour. If you want to be part of the show and talk directly to me and our guest, Call us at 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. These are the questions that we'll discuss today on the show. Inquiring minds want to know. If Joe Biden fares badly in New Hampshire tomorrow after a fourth-place finish in Iowa, can he recover and still win the Democratic presidential nomination? Question two. What are the prospects for former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg, who's not on the ballot in New Hampshire, but who is running an aggressive and expensive national media campaign? And third, will the Democratic infighting in the winter and spring be a major obstacle to beating Donald Trump in the fall? Our guest in this half hour is Paul Lisnick. Paul is an attorney, legal consultant, and political analyst. Paul has been the political analyst for WGN-TV in Chicago since 2008, appearing on all the station's newscasts discussing political issues of the day. He is the host of Political Report Sunday mornings on WGN, on which he interviews the leading figures in the city, state, and country. Paul has appeared on a number of TV news shows, including CNN and Court TV. He is the author of 13 books, including The Hidden Jury, and his first work of fiction, Assume Guilt, which is available now. Welcome to Deadline DC, Paul. Brad, but talking to you, of course, tops everything else I've done. Uh, Of course it does, Paul. I appreciate you saying that. Sure. Okay. Uh... Well, you've been uh, 
spending a lot of time uh, as uh, an analyst on WGN-TV looking at the uh, uh, Democratic presidential race. Uh, What are your impressions in general? Well, with New Hampshire coming up, you know, it's not that New Hampshire is going to give us the candidate. It's more likely a process of maybe winnowing down some of the candidates, depending on how they do. Um, Look, a lot of talk, including from Joe Biden, suggests he doesn't expect to do well in New Hampshire. You don't really have a, you know, kind of diversity there that you have moving forward from there in Nevada and South Carolina. So I think if you're you're Joe Biden, um, you sort of let everybody know that you don't expect to do well now, but you're holding on for the next couple of states uh, where you plan to, to do better. I right now think the Democratic Party is in search for trying to figure out who carries the progressive mantle, who carries the moderate mantle, and then decide between those two who carries the party. Yeah, I agree with you, Paul, on that. Honestly, I think for our listeners who are planning to uh, watch or listen to coverage of the New Hampshire primary tomorrow night, uh, there are two races going on along the lines you suggested. Uh, We have a race between Bernie Sanders uh, and Elizabeth Warren uh, to be the uh, uh, to be the standard bearer for the aggressive progressive wing of the party. And we have a race between Joe Biden, uh, Pete Buttigieg, uh, and uh, maybe Amy Globacar to uh, be the front runner for the uh, pragmatic moderate wing of the party. Uh, do you have any sense who, which two candidates will come out of those two scrums? On the progressive side, I'm fairly comfortable in saying it looks like Bernie Sanders will rule the day. I mean, he's, you know, his supporters are just so strong and so fervent. In fact, if anything, and I'm not the only person talking about this, I mean, Democrats have to be very concerned. Look, a lot of Democrats who supported Bernie in 2016 and basically, you know, viewed the, the nomination as being stolen from him and going to Hillary Clinton, a lot of them stayed home in the 2016 election, and they got Donald Trump as their consolation prize. You know, moving forward to now, you would think that even the most ardent Bernie supporters, um, you know, to avoid four more years of Donald Trump, would say, look, I'm behind Bernie, but but no, I'm going to support whoever the candidate is. Bernie himself has said he'll support whoever the candidate is. But my concern is that if, um, if Bernie supporters seem to feel that one way or another, this nomination is, is sort of stolen from him, if that's their view. Uh, the concern is they marry very well may stay home, and y- you don't get people to vote on the Democratic side. You don't get a Democratic winner. Well, that's a, a great cause of concern among Democrats, Paul. Let me ask you about that. Uh, back in 2016, and I've seen uh, estimates, different estimates of this, uh, at least of the people who voted for Bernie Sanders in the 2016 primaries uh, uh, did not vote for Hillary Clinton uh, in uh, November of 2016. I've seen estimates as high as that uh, uh, 20% of the Sanders supporters uh, did not uh, vote for uh, Hillary Clinton in 2016. on that note, it's worth worth saying that I think I'm sure they felt back then that there was no way Hillary could lose, so it was a protest vote to basically say I'm not going to give her the White House on my vote. So I got the protest vote sense. There's, I mean, lots of different explanations as people look back to 2016 now that help them explain how that happened, how 2016 happened. But in 2020, and I know you agree, it's a different ball game, and the protest vote for Democrats is too dangerous a road to take. 
Uh, yeah, it, it certainly is. And again, uh, I feel that, uh, that one of the big differences between 2006, November 2016 and November 2020 uh, is that Democratic voters are a lot more motivated now than they were uh, in 2016, uh, mainly because the uh, reality of a Donald Trump uh, people progressives find the uh, reality of a Donald Trump presidency a lot more frightening than the prospect of one as they did in 2016. We're going to go to break now, but we get back from break. Uh, we will have more with the uh, political analyst Paul Lisnick from WGN-TV in Chicago. So hang on. Don't go away. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. How do you explain the increase in black arrests in South Bend under your leadership for marijuana possession? And again... The overall rate was lower. No, there was an increase. The year before you were in office, it was lower. We adopted a strategy that said that drug enforcement would be targeted in cases where there was a connection to the most violent group or gang connected to a murder. These things are all connected, but that's the point. So are all of the things that need to change in order for us to prevent violence and remove the effects of systemic racism. Senator Warren, is that a substantial answer from Mayor Buttigieg? No. I don't think people who suck up to billionaires in order to fund their campaigns ought to do it. Unlike some of the folks up here, I don't have 40 billionaires, Pete, contributing to my campaign. But what you said, Pete, as you were campaigning through Iowa, as three of us were jurors in that impeachment hearing, you said it was exhausting to watch and that you wanted to turn the channel and watch cartoons. It is easy to go after Washington because that's a popular thing to do. It is much harder, as I see Senator Shaheen in the front row, such a leader, it is much harder to lead and much harder to take those difficult positions because I think this going after every single thing that people do because it's popular to say and makes you look like a cool newcomer, I just, I don't think that's what people want right now. We have a newcomer in the White House, and look where it got us. I think having some experience is a good thing. I freely admit that if you're looking for the person with the most years of Washington establishment experience under their belt, you've got your candidate, and of of course it's not me. I don't know what about the past of Barack Obama and Joe Biden was so bad. What happened? What is it that he wants to do away with? We were just beginning. We're back with Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Uh, that were the, those clips were from the uh, Democratic debate in New Hampshire Friday night, where the uh, candidates were beating up on Mayor Pete. Uh, welcome to the big leagues, Pete. Uh, the further you get up the pole, uh, the more heat you're going to take. So I hope he gets used to it. Uh, we'll find out uh, what happens, uh, how he does tomorrow night in New Hampshire, where he seems to be uh, number two in the polls uh, behind Bernie Sanders. Uh, so we may have another uh, uh, 
decision like we did in Iowa where uh, uh, Mayor Pete and uh, Bernie Sanders finish one and two or vice versa. Our guest in this half hour is Paul Lisnick. Uh, Paul is a triple threat. He's an attorney, legal consultant, and political analyst. Uh, he is the host of the Political Report Sunday mornings on WGN-TV in Chicago, and he's also the host of Behind the Curtains on WGN Radio in Chicago. Uh, Paul, uh, we uh, listened to some of the criticisms of uh, Mayor Pete at the debate the other night. And by the way, uh, I think uh, the other Democrats need to be careful uh, because especially Joe Biden, when they beat up Mayor Pete for not having experience, that's a double-edged sword because uh, Joe Biden has been 38 years in Washington and uh, people are very hostile to Washington, so experience is a double-edged sword. Uh, let's. Uh, do you think, Paul, that the Democratic infighting, which we just heard some of uh, in the winter and spring, will be in a major obstacle to beating Donald Trump in the fall? Uh, you know, Brad, I just think this is a, an election like we've never seen before in terms of the opponent being Donald Trump. And so, you know, you hear a lot of analysts sort of telling Democrats, be careful that you've got so much infighting going on, you're handing Trump the election just because of all the infighting. But you know what? It's that stage of the election where this infighting and the finger pointing is going to go on. Because, you know, if you're a candidate, you want people to look at you uh, and away from one of your opponents. The experience piece, look, you know, Jimmy Carter was the governor of, you know, of a state. Bill Clinton, the governor of a small state. I mean, Donald Trump was, was the the nothing of nothing. So, you know, as far as, you know, Mayor Pete, you know, being a mayor of a, of a, you know, town in Indiana, you know, the truth is he's got bigger fish to fry and issues to, to worry about, such as appealing to the African-American vote, um, not just for the way he's handled issues related to that, but, you know, again, progressive people really could care less that he is uh, openly gay. They could care less about that. But you saw that, that um, interview with somebody, I think it was Iowa, where the woman said, what? What? He's got a same-sex partner? I want my card back. I don't want to do, you know. So he's going to fight prejudice in a variety of ways. We'll see how the country itself handles it. Um, but, but the truth of it is that actually the Democrat doesn't really need to worry about those kinds of issues all over the country. I mean, certain states, Oklahoma, you, you know, you, they're not going Democrat anyway. It's those five or six states that make a difference in the election. W will they, um, you know, look at somebody like Pete who is young and openly gay and pretty bright and, and simply accept all of that if they think he's the answer to a Donald Trump. So I think that's the direction it goes. The main thing is going to be Democrats pulling together quickly once they decide who the nominee is going to be. Yeah, well, I personally think one of the reasons that Mayor Pete's doing so well um, is he doesn't have he's not he doesn't have the baggage trailing behind him of having spent decades in Washington D.C. and that uh, lack of uh, ties to Washington D.C. is a big selling some some voters. I also think he is one of the reasons he's doing well. He's the anti-Trump. Uh, he's young. He's a Rhodes Scholar. He served with distinction in a combat zone, uh, everything that Donald Trump isn't. So uh, we'll, see, uh, we'll see how he does. Let me get to one last thing, uh, Paul. Uh, one name that is not on the ballot in New Hampshire, uh, who is a big-time player in this race, uh, is uh, Michael Bloomberg. 
Uh, he wasn't on the ballot in Iowa. He wasn't on the ballot uh, in uh, New Hampshire. Uh, but he is running a, I think, uh, a very expensive and aggressive national TV campaign to build his name recognition. I read this morning that he's already spent, believe it or not, $350 million on TV. Uh, do you think Mayor Bloomberg will be a, a big player in the Democratic presidential race? I think he absolutely is somebody who can be a big player. Look, he knows what he's doing, right? It's not as though he missed the filing deadline in Iowa. You know, he's putting all of his eggs in a basket that starts on Super Tuesday. You'd be hard-pressed. I know here in Illinois, you turn on the TV and you've got, you know, Bloomberg ads running all the time. So he's certainly outplaying the markets. I think as much as the DNC is getting um, flack for changing the rules to essentially allow him onto the debate stage on the what will be the November 19th debate, um, you know, here's the thing. He needs to be tested. He needs to stand up against those other opponents and give people, uh, you know, let's compare oranges to oranges and see how he stands on his feet when getting some tough questions from moderators. That'll be NBC moderators and MSNBC moderators on that night. You know, he, he shouldn't get the free pass to spend money and, you know, and maybe even get significant votes just on his terms in terms of ads. Um, that being said, obviously it's also a concern how many people had to leave this race because they, they were after reaching the number of donors requirements to be in the debate. So maybe a Cory Booker or a Kamala Harris, we may have lost some of those folks just because they had to spend money in places that Bloomberg doesn't. I don't write off Mike Bloomberg. Uh, I think he's somebody you have to watch. And indeed, if Joe Biden and other moderates don't don't get looked at by, Demo by Democrats as the person who can carry the day and the party is shifting towards a moderate. You know what? Bloomberg's got some baggage, too, but so far he's shown himself to be the only person who can talk Trump talk right back at him. As you remember, just briefly, and I'll wrap here, but um, when, uh, when uh, Trump called him little P, whatever he called him, um, mini Mike or something, and, Trump, and uh, Bloomberg responded by saying, you know what? He lies about everything. His spray on tan, his being obese. So, you know, Bloomberg may be the only person who knows how to sort of go low when they go low, and it may be something Democrats have a taste for as time goes on. Yep. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Paul, I hope you can join us again. There'll certainly be a lot of, to talk about. We're going to break now, but when we get back, we'll have more of uh, Deadline DC with Brad Bannon and our provocative progressive political panel. Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. In a moment, uh, we will have, as we usually do in the second half hour, the provocative progressive political panel. Uh, but before that, let me share my thoughts with you on the New Hampshire primary tomorrow night. This week will be a welcome relief for Democrats. They escape caucus chaos in Iowa and embrace primary supremacy in New Hampshire. But nothing is set in stone for Tuesday's primary in the Granite State. Polls of New Hampshire primary voters conducted last week indicated almost half the voters there had not made a firm decision about their primary choice only a few days before the primary. That's in sync with the experience in Iowa where, ent where the entrance poll indicated that a third of the caucus participants made up their minds in the last few days before the caucus. There was a split decision in the Hawkeye State between Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders and former South Bend, Indiana Mayor Mayor Pete. The same thing might happen in New Hampshire. 
Two days before the primary, the Real Clear Politics polling average had Sanders at 27%, uh, Buttigieg at 22%, and behind them, Elizabeth Warren at 13 and Joe Biden at 13 Mayor Pete got the biggest bounce out of Iowa into New Hampshire. A Suffolk University survey on the day of the Iowa caucus had the mayor with 11% of the vote in the Granite State. Five days later, he was all the way up to 22% in the university's tracking poll. Did his surge continue over the weekend? Is he poised for an upset victory in the first in the nation's primary? We'll find out tomorrow night. There are really two races to watch in New Hampshire. Down the stretch, a Democratic campaign will boil down to a two-horse race. One of the candidates will represent the aggressive progressive wing of the party, and the other contender will champion the moderate pragmatist. In Iowa, the progressives went with Sanders over Warren, and the pragmatist chose Mayor Pete over Biden. The same thing might happen in New Hampshire. If Warren loses to Sanders in the Granite State, she will need to beat him somewhere soon to remain a viable candidate to represent the progressive wing of the party down the stretch. Biden hasn't spent much time or money in New Hampshire. In fact, he even admitted during the debate Friday night that he was going to lose there. Not a great way to campaign. So the former vice president may finish fourth or even fifth uh, in New Hampshire. He is banking on doing better in South Carolina and in Dixie on Super Tuesday. But back-to-back strong showings by Mayor Pete in the North may undermine Biden's strength in the South with moderate and conservative primary voters. So don't go to bed Tuesday night right after the networks announced a winner. Knowing the identity of the runner-up is almost as important. One is the winner. Number two shows enough to fight another day, and Tuesday night might be the right night for number three and everybody else to go away. Our guest this week on the Provocative Progressive Political Panel is Will Juwando. Will is council member at large for Montgomery County, Maryland. Described as the progressive leader we need by revered social uh, civil rights activist and congressman John Lewis, Will has worked with House Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi, Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio, and then-Senator Barack Obama. A regular commentator for MSNBC and cable news, Will is fast becoming the voice of authority on issues surrounding the nation's political climate, public policy, and social justice. Okay, welcome back to uh, the provocative progressive political panel on Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. How are you doing today, Will? Doing great. I'm doing great. Good to uh, be on with you. And, and great, great, uh, great recap. I enjoyed it. Uh, thank you very much for joining us again. Okay, uh, let's start with this. Uh, do you want to venture any predictions about what's going to happen in New Hampshire tomorrow night? Well, that's always a, uh, uh, a risky proposition <laughs> the night before primary. But uh, I'll, I'll say this. I, my, prediction number one: We'll know the results uh, a lot sooner than Iowa. How about that? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty safe to say. <laughs> but uh, I'm no, not I, sure I we think... still know the results. By the way, in Iowa, 
that, Ray. Well, hey, that's a good point, too. Um, you know, I, I, in all seriousness, I think you're going to see a Sanders win. Uh, if you, you just mentioned that last tracking poll that had him uh, maintaining, uh, you know, a, a six or six or seven points or so lead on uh, Buttigieg, um, and and if you look at the kind of the cross tabs on those on that poll and on most polls with Sanders, particularly in New Hampshire, uh, his supporters are the most likely not to switch. You know, I think it was, you know, he has a big gap. I think it's something like forty six percent of the people who say they're supporting him are going to stick with him, and the others are in the in the high teens, I think, at best. So uh, I think he's going to win. Uh, the real question to me is uh, how close can Buttigieg get, and then what happens with Biden? Because I think this would be devastating to Biden, uh, Vice President Biden, if he's not able to uh, stay within the top three and in, in, uh, in, in pretty, and hopefully for him, probably pretty close to Buttigieg. Well, let me uh, let me uh, follow up with that, uh, Will. Uh, let's say, you know, during the debate Friday night, uh, Joe Biden came out and said, I don't, I didn't do very well in Iowa and I'm not going to very do very well here in New Hampshire, which in my mind is not a great thing to say. And so my question is, and then we'll have, uh, Mark chime in on this too. Uh, can Joe, he finished, Joe Biden finished fourth in Iowa. He, I think he could very well finish fourth or even fifth uh, in New Hampshire, especially after what he said Friday night. Uh, can he survive uh, two bad finishes in Iowa and New Hampshire and live to tell about it uh, later this month uh, and next month, especially on March 3rd, when uh, we have, I think, 14 different primaries and caucuses on Super Tuesday? Yeah, you you raise a big a good point that I've been talking about and uh in other places the you know the Biden strategy was you know hold on in Iowa and hold on in New Hampshire and and I I defined hold on and as top 3 finishes um and then get to Nevada and to South Carolina and start building from there. So I he he didn't do well in Iowa. Uh, and so I really think he needs to. Uh, it would be it would be very difficult for him, particularly with his cash flow and money situation, uh, in the rise of Bloomberg. Uh, it's going to be really difficult for him to come out of New Hampshire in a fourth or fifth place finish finish and and really to be able to go for too much longer. You know, you never know with you know he's vice president. He's got high name ID. How much they can stretch the money, but I think you're going to you would see significant donors. Uh, exiting him, um, and if he doesn't show that trend, the, the tracking poll—they're probably happy. It looks like he, in this latest poll, he gained a few points despite what he said in in Iowa, which I agree with. He probably wasn't the smartest. Uh, you know, I know he's trying to set expectations. Probably wasn't the smartest thing to say, but so we'll have to see. I think it would be very difficult if he if he came in below third. Uh, Mark, what do you think? Uh, can Joe Biden survive another fourth place finish? Uh, and uh, live to tell about it uh, uh, later this month in Nevada and South Carolina, and then in the big Super Tuesday wingding on March 3rd? I, I, I think at least that's a yes, because I don't think there's any way 
he would drop out before Super Tuesday. Um, I would be shocked if that happened, regardless of where he finishes here. That said, um, you know, you eventually have to start winning or coming and and second or even third if you're going to start to rack up some delegates and build some momentum. Um, I think one of his problems, and and this just kind of came down the line in the last half hour, and it is just one poll, but the new uh, Quinnipiac poll out, uh, it has some very good news for Democrats, which has all of the top candidates defeating Trump um, by a large margin with actually Bloomberg having the best net positive, 51 to 42. Then it goes Sanders, 51, 43, Biden, 50 to 43. And then you have Klobuchar, Warren and Buttigieg all beating Trump between four and six points. Um, But one of the problems in the the poll of just Democrats is uh, Sanders is at top uh, on top with 25 percent, which is a a plus of, of four for him. But Biden has dropped nine points into second place at 17 percent and if you look who's right on his heels it's bloomberg at 15 percent he's number three over warren and they share a lot of the similar moderate views um or people seem to look at them that way and you have um a very large percentage of african-american voters who switched their support from before iowa uh, from Biden to after Iowa to Bloomberg, um, and that's where a, a big amount of the drop is. So I think Bloomberg, you know, inundating the airwaves with his money and his ads has been effective, and he has not been really challenged on the debate stage. So I think your previous guest, uh, Paul Lisnick, brought up a good point. Um, at least, you know, if he does end up on the debate stage uh, in Nevada, they'll at least be able to see him go toe-to-toe and compare him apples-to-apples with the rest of the candidates. But Again, you know, bottom line, I think overall it's very good news for Democrats uh, if this was, quote unquote, Trump's best week ever because the poll was from February 5th to 9th. They end up beating him uh, in this poll, every single major candidate from uh, between six and nine points. So a lot of interesting data to pour over in that poll. And I think Will is spot on regarding, uh, you know, the coalition that he'd be looking to build as well. Okay, we're going to go to break now. Uh, When we get back from break, uh, we'll have more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon uh, and our provocative progressive political panel. Today, we have Will political activist Will Juwando and our own executive producer, Mark Grimaldi. Hang on, we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. And joining me today on our provocative progressive political panel are Will Juwando, Montgomery County, Maryland, council member at large, and our own executive producer and progressive political activist, Mark Grimaldi. We're talking presidential politics today because the New Hampshire, uh, New Hampshire Democratic presidential primary uh, is tomorrow. Uh, let's talk about this. Uh, we were just talking about a new uh, Quinnipiac University survey uh, that showed uh, the Democratic candidates all leading uh, Donald Trump. Uh, last week, I go back and forth a lot 
on how our pro the probability of beating Donald Trump in November. Um, I uh, someone asked me last night, and I said, "Well, I think there's probably a better than fifty, at least a little better than fifty-fifty chance that a Democrat uh, will occupy the White House next uh, January." Uh, last week, I was uh, kind of worried. Uh, Gallup organization uh, reported that Donald Trump had a. 49% job approval rating, which was the highest it's ever been in his presidency. He usually averages in the low 40s. Uh, also, the Democratic candidates were tearing each other's guts out, and I'm thinking, we can't do this uh, and live to tell about it next November. So let me ask the panel, uh, Will, what do you think are the realistic prospects for a Democratic presidential candidate uh, beating Donald Trump in November? Oh, I think they're very, very strong, uh, in part because they have to be. And you are seeing in uh, coming out of Iowa and even uh, in the last debate, uh, more coalescing around the messaging that all that matters is that we beat Donald Trump uh, and that we each of my each of the fellow candidates would be better suited, even though they have disagreements on policies and experience. And I think that trend is a good one. I think uh, the the new poll that you just referenced, the Quinnipiac poll, showing everyone uh, with uh, beating Donald Trump head-to-head, uh, no matter what who the major candidates are, is another good sign. And, and, and to your point, the fact that we're coming a week after, uh, to the previous, uh, to Mark's point, that we're coming a week after what Trump would hail as his acquittal and a you know exoneration and the impeachment uh, proceedings. So I think we're in a strong position as long as we stay on message, uh, focus on all the horrible things he's doing. You have his budget coming out where he's doubling down on uh, division and and b- putting billions of dollars into a non-needed and divisive uh, border wall increasing military spending, cutting programs that are going to help working people. If we stay focused on those things uh, and, and how he's just an embarrassment to the country, and uh, I think what Democrat has a strong chance of winning, um, is assuming they're well-resourced as well. So uh, I, I think we're heading in the right direction. Obviously, a long way to go, but I, I'm, I'm optimistic. Well, let me ask you uh, this, Will. Uh, you talked about message. Um if you had 30 seconds, uh, what would the Democratic message, uh, what would be the message from the Democrat who's ultimately the nominee? Uh, how would you sum up what should be uh, the Democratic message to beat Donald Trump? Well, number one, uh, we're going to make sure you keep your health care, including protections for pre-existing con- conditions, keeping your kids on your health care. Uh, we're going to make sure that we protect our environment for future generations. Uh, we're going to invest in working people so that they have a shot at the American dream. Uh, and we're going to bring respect uh, the, that the U.S. used to have back to the world. And I think if we focus on variations of those themes, uh, those are all things that Donald Trump has failed miserably at, uh, then I think Democrats are going to be in a strong position. We, we, we lose track when we start getting into the the weeds of the exactly how you're going to do those things. Obviously, that'll come, and I know we're, we have to distinguish ourselves in the primary debate, the candidates do, but uh, I think those those are some key points that Donald Trump isn't doing and said he doesn't want to do, 
uh, and that are really core issues that are differences between what the Democrats' vision for the country is and what his is. Okay. Uh, Mark, let's, uh, let me ask you this. Uh, the message that Will just described, it sounds to me like that is well short of Bernie Sanders', Sanders message. Uh, Will and I think uh, uh, maybe Joe Biden and Mayor Pete, uh, their message uh, is pretty close to what Will says that, you know, don't let him take away our health care. Uh, uh, don't let him rip away uh, the protections for against pre-existing con- conditions. It seems to me Bernie Sanders uh, goes far past that uh, in talking about, well, we need uh, Medicare for all. Uh, we need to completely change the system. Uh, we need a government-run program. Uh, does the Sanders message work in the fall? It's something I've wrestled with myself uh, and thought about, Brad. And I think, you know, his vision is is big, bold ideas. And I think Elizabeth Warren's is very similar. And if you look at the support for the two of them, you're even just Sanders in the most recent uh, Democratic poll. They lead everyone else. So and if you just look at individual polls of Medicare for all within the Democratic Party, it's definitely the majority of Democrats support it. Um, the question is then how does that translate to a general election? And I think traditional analysis says you want to be more moderate to attract independents and Republicans who are, um, you know, basically just sick of Trump. And the winning message in the fall in the uh, primary, or excuse me, in the midterm elections, which were historic, was to protect health care, to protect pre-existing conditions. It was not Medicare for all. Um, so I think that's where these two things are going to, to come to a head. And I, I, you know, personally agree with a lot of uh, Senator Sanders positions. Um, but I'm concerned about his viability as a general election candidate, because I don't know how popular those are going to be amongst voters who simply, you know, want to improve upon the Affordable Care Act in the way that Mayor Pete or Vice President Biden uh, speak about. So I think it's a very uh, interesting point that is being, you know, battled right now in uh, these debates. Okay. Well, let me uh, finish. Uh, I, well, actually, it looks like we are finished. Uh, I want to thank uh, both our panelists on the uh, Provocative Progressive Political Panel, uh, Montgomery County uh, Councilman-at-Large Will Jawando, and our own executive producer, uh, Mark Grimaldi. I also want to thank our guests from the first half hour, uh, Paul Lisnick of WGN-TV and Radio. Uh, I'll be back uh, next Monday. Uh, if the creek don't lies and the Lord is willing, and unless Donald Trump declares martial law, that is, which is always a possibility, but otherwise, tune in next Monday, same time, same bat channel, uh, for Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Have a good week, and we'll uh, pay attention to what happens in New Hampshire tomorrow night, uh, because we'll probably talk about it next Monday. Have a good week.